Well, hello, everybody. I want to thank each and every one of you for clicking play on this most recent podcast. Joining us today on this episode of Whipcast is Franco Zocali from the Great White North up in Quebec, Canada. Franco has been making whips for over 20 years, specializing in kangaroo hide whips. Franco works in the filmmaking industry and is also founder and administrator of the quickly growing Facebook page, The Whipmaker's Hook. This is a place where whipmakers can come together, share ideas, and help beginners learn this beautiful craft. So sit back, relax, perhaps grab a whip you're working on, and enjoy the show. Ladies and gentlemen, Franco Zocali. Franco, thanks so much for coming on the show, my friend. How are you? I'm well, thank you. Thank you for having me. Absolutely welcome, my friend. So we're just going to start off. Franco, where did you grow up? Uh, I grew up in and around Montreal, Canada. And uh, I guess how I got involved with Whips was after seeing Raiders of the Lost Ark as a kid, uh, I really, really wanted to do like indie and crack whips and uh Mm -hmm. so i started looking around for whips and ranches and things like that where i could buy a whip and i i really quickly realized that there were no ranches in and around montreal Mm -hmm. and uh in those pre-internet days unless you had a phone number or at the very least a name and a, a city that you could sort of try and look up, it would be really, really hard to just find out who was a whipmaker. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And so imagine. not knowing any whipmakers, not having any access to whipmakers, uh, I thought I would uh, try and make one. And in my, my typical naivete, I, I figured how hard could it be? Right. And uh, so that, that's kind of where it started. I, I just, I learned how to make whip because I wanted to crack one. Mm-hmm. So your first experience cracking a whip was actually one that you made. Is, is that correct? Almost. Mm-hmm. The, uh, I, I, had a, I had a neighbor a few doors over who'd gotten a, a whip as a present from Mexico. But it was really cheaply made. Mm-hmm. And it, it didn't crack really well. You really had to over-muscle it a lot. So that's probably my very first whip that I cracked. But beyond that, yeah, it would be one of mine. That was, what, can you go through, you know, some of the steps that you took? Like, where did you get your information on how to make that first whip? Was it just trial and error? Did you just grab some hides and just kind of put together something that you saw in the movie? Or how did you go about so, making it? Well, I, I kind of went it, went at it in a really roundabout way because um, I had an uncle who had a farm, and he still had an old whip that he had made when he was a young man, uh, just to work the cattle. And I had no idea he had a whip until I was over there one time visiting, and I kind of, on the off chance asked him and he said oh yeah sure there's one right over there and what it was 
is it was a really simple, basic model. He had taken a bunch of uh, leather laces that he'd gotten from the shoemaker, like probably six feet long, square, cross-section leather lace, and he'd folded them in half, bound all of that, mm-hmm. and then went around with a knife, cutting strands as he went from the, the base towards what would be the, the eye, where it was folded in two. Mm-hmm. And in, in doing so, he created a paper. Huh. And he bound that with twine, covered it with a sewn leather sheath, nailed in, hammered in a big nail, actually the exact same kind of nail we would use on an indie model. Huh. And uh, through the eye of that, he looped in uh, what essentially came out to a uh, three-foot fall. Wow. And so he, the, the way the fall was connected to that width bait was very much like you would connect uh, stock whip thong and uh, crop. Interesting. And so that was my first, that was my first model. I copied that. And it wasn't very, it didn't perform very well. It wasn't really accurate. Mm -hmm. And uh, it certainly didn't crack very well. But it was my start. And I basically, um, how can I put this? I improved on that model. And when I, and, and when I finally figured out how to plot four strands, mm-hmm. then things started picking up. So that was pretty much the, uh, the first model. And uh, if you want to have an idea of what that looks like, mm-hmm. there's a whip called the Loudon whip in one of David Morgan's books. Okay, the Loudon whip. And it's whip. pretty much that. I'm going to have to check that out. I've looked through the book, but I, I don't specifically remember that one, but I'm going to have to check on that. I think it's awesome we all have that first whip, you know, that, that kind of started everything for us. Do you still have that whip, Franco? Sadly, no, because as I went on improving it, mm-hmm. I modified it. Oh, okay. I got gotcha. you. So, you know, I, I didn't remake a new one. I just used the base of what I had and... Eventually, I changed that fall for a plaited section, and mm-hmm. eventually that led to an entirely plaited whip, but uh, that was a few years later. Well, that's quite an interesting story of how you first got into it. So so talk with me, Franco, about your progression through whip making. Um, when did you get to the point where you felt like, you know what, this, this is a design I'm, I'm happy with, this is something that's consistent, you know, you start showing perhaps family and friends you like this is i am confident with this particular whip um just kind of mm. talk with me about your progression as far as methods go uh, with with your whip making so i i've been making the i've been making uh indie style whips uh for a few years mm-hmm. in my teens and uh going into my early 20s and i i stopped entirely when I got to university. It, mm-hmm. University just took up to all of my time. That just kind of fell on the wayside for a few years. Mm-hmm. And then um, 
some years later, one of my nephews asked me, didn't you used to make whips? And I said, yeah, why? Are you interested by that? He goes, yeah, I'd love to try it. Hmm. So I left it at that. I didn't say a word. Mm -hmm. And now the internet was here. So I started contacting people, started getting kangaroo leather and started working on it. Mm -hmm. And I made a few. And by the time I'd made a few, like maybe half a dozen. Uh, I had made one that wasn't too, too bad, and I offered it to him as a present, which is pretty much what I did back in those days. I would make wish and give them away as presents. That's great. Because I did feel, I, I did feel quite right about asking money mm -hmm. as I was learning. For sure. It did feel like it was uh, an honest thing to do. Mm-hmm. Definitely so, understand. I was the same way. I was the same way. Yeah. But the yeah. internet really, uh, it, it just shot me forward because it, it put me into contact with other wit makers. Mm -hmm. And I was able to start asking people questions. So I'm, I must have bothered the heck out of a lot of people back in those days. <laughs> Didn't we all? We all did. <laughs> we all did. Yeah, I think we all did for sure. But yeah, it was... Uh, who were some of the people? It was you kind of a. Who were some? Of sorry, the people, go ahead. Who were some of the people you pestered? I pestered David Morgan. I pestered uh, Bernie Wojcicki, Paul Noland. There's a few others out there, but the names escape me right now. But yeah, I just basically would send off what were probably really long emails back in those days. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, but then what I would do is I would take their answers, apply them to my work mm -hmm. and kind of keep going with that until I hit another wall. Hmm. And when I would hit a wall that I couldn't figure out how to work around myself, then I would ask another question. So that's kind of how I did it. Gotcha. That's, that's an excellent method for, for learning any craft, you know? Go to people who've been doing it for a while and, and apply it to your own projects and make your own inputs, you know, and kind of blend them together. So I, I think we all have done that. Steve, I think you, you know, you, Blake, you've done that as well along your, both of your wit making careers, wouldn't you say? Yeah, yeah definitely. Yeah. One of the things that really helped me is in my really early days, I didn't really have access to good leather. So I would basically, uh, scavenge any mm -hmm. bits of leather that I could get my hands on. Mm -hmm. Anything <laughs> like women's tall boots, old leather jackets, like whatever I could get my hands on. Mm -hmm. And because none of them were long enough to make strands that could go the entire way of a, the entire length of a whip, mm -hmm. I learned really early on how to like, and that became useful later on when I would have strands break. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. Definitely. Definitely one of the many uh, educational hurdles we all have to face is being good whipmakers. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Strands break, it happens. You have to you have to move on and you know it's a, it sometimes it's so frustrating it feels like the end of a project but it can't be, you know. Yeah. You just got to deal with it. Yeah. 
That's true. So yeah, it's good that you learned that uh, early on uh, with a, a shortage of materials and learning how to splice, it's almost, you're going to have to. I used to think when I, when I first started making whips, I thought that once you broke a strand, you know, oh, it's over. I didn't, I didn't even have a concept of you can splice strands in, you know what I mean? I never knew that, you know, it took me a while before I knew that it was not the end of the world. Splicing is, you know, it's, it can be done. Yeah, and, and depending on, you know, where it snaps really just depends on what you need to do. I mean, yeah. if it's on the handle, of course, you just need to undo it and see if you can use that strand again, which you probably can't, or remake it. Mm -hmm. But, you know, if it's past, like, the your first drop, you can just braid in one of your drop strands if you haven't cut it. You know, and so it's like you already have it on the inside and you want to already cut the match. So if you already passed your first drop, use one of those in the cordials. I mean, just kind of yeah. what it is what you're dealing with. There's a lot of different things, or you have to cut a new strand and slide it, and match it with the taper. You just, you know. Yeah. Now yeah. Blake makes these fader whips, which depend on being able to insert a different colored strand and draw it out when you want. Uh, and then now add on top of that, you're you're trying to he's trying to make this whip and he's trying to braid this whip and bring out these other colors. And then on top of that, dealing with not only inserting those strands, but when it when a strand breaks, now you have to backtrack and reinsert both of them and deal with all that so it's just you know i don't want no part of that <laughs> you will make a fader soon i i i share your sentiment <laughs> yeah i i don't i don't want to deal with that i know that's got to be a massive headache but he does it and deals with it and does it good so yeah more power to him so uh you sent some questions franco uh for those who don't know this is deep townsend uh and uh, here with Blake Burning and Nick Schrader. Uh, you sent some questions that you thought would be good to uh, discuss here, and I'm just looking them over. Um, yeah. I don't know if these are questions that, that you want to address or you want to ask. Well, we'll, we'll just go in around Robin. If it's a question, we'll just go around in an order. Yeah. You, but I'm not, I'm not finished grilling them, so won't. <laughs> what? Yeah, guys, grill them on some other stuff. All right, what's your current job? What do you do for your job? That's something I don't think most people know. Mm -hmm. There you go. Tell yeah. me about that, Castle. Well, uh, my quote-unquote day job is working crew on so that's that's my mainstay and in between those gigs um, I make whips uh, so what, what are some of the random typical duties that you might have to do because yours is almost complete like not being a concierge but you have no idea what you're gonna do it's not like you just show up and put up a prop all the time you got a lot of different things you do right you have a mm -hmm. very Wow. Well, I've this will be my thirty-second year working films. Wow! And uh, yeah, I started young, <laughs> and uh, in that time, I went around the departments. So there's not there's not a whole lot of jobs that I didn't have um, in on films. So from producing, directing, camera, editing. Uh, lighting, hmm. you name it, I've probably done it. But for the past few years, I've been working in transport, which basically comes down to saying I take care of the VIPs. Mm -hmm. So that's that's what I do for my uh, my mainstay. As a result of that, I'm in the thick of it, and sometimes that becomes interesting because I I, I can see opportunities happen um, where otherwise it would be harder to, to see this uh, see these opportunities case in point 
in 2005, I was working on 300, uh, the film about Sparta. And uh, I was walking through the studio one day, and I saw these things, these leather, well, I can't call them whips, really. They were just things. So I, I stopped and spoke to the prop person, and uh, I said, "Do you are you guys looking for whips? Because yeah, I said, did you, who made these? Goes, oh, I did. I said, okay, I see. I said, well, um, listen, if this is something I do on the side, so if you guys need whips, I can definitely hook you up with that. Hmm. And so, sure enough, I made three handles, basically bullwhip handles, with maybe three inches extending past the handle for the hero whips and uh, the thong. Unfortunately, were CGI afterwards, but uh, that that's one that was one of one of the, the the times where being in one place allowed me to do the other thing at the same time. Yeah, making uh, whips, you know, props in general, and and being in the film, you know, environment is is definitely something that's that was really neat that worked, you know, to your advantage. That's that's great. It doesn't happen. It doesn't happen often, but. Sometimes things just kind of come together. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, I, I didn't know that. That's uh, insane. Yeah, a, another story. If you've got two minutes, absolutely. You've got two uh, hours if you're up for it, champ. Absolutely. <laughs> Shoot. <laughs> I was working on another show some years back called uh, Mirror Mirror, and it was kind of like a, a take on the Snow White story. Uh, this one had. Uh, Army Hammer playing in it. And as we were filming, I, I had Army right next to me when he got the news that he had gotten the part for the Lone Ranger. And so I said, well, the Lone Ranger, that's pretty cool. Congratulations. Hmm. But, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but he used a, a whip, doesn't he? Goes, yeah, I think so. I think so. Why? I said, well, you're just in luck because <laughs> I happen to be a whip maker. He says, no kidding. So I said, yep. And so the next day, I brought a few whips over to the set and gave Army Hammer what was probably his first ever crash course on cracking a bullet. That's awesome. Yeah, you get, you get a few stories like that happening when, when you're in that environment. Yeah, I was upset uh, myself that he didn't get to actually use the whip more in the movie. He only wears it, I think, just for a few minutes towards the end. Either. Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. Well, of course, yeah, all four well. of us are always hoping there's more whips in oh, any yeah. movie. Oh, yeah, right, definitely. I don't watch The Bachelor, but if I did, I'd be waiting for a whip. <laughs> <laughs> there should be whips in the movie, yes. Where's the yeah. whip? Side? Everyone in the world has a whip. Well, we see a whip on our wall every day. Yeah. Well, yeah. it was really, uh, there was a period maybe um i don't know i want to say almost 10 years ago maybe not quite that that much but about 10 years ago where whips were everywhere we shot immortals up here as well and they had a fire whip in there and it was a buddy of mine who was who was doing the fire whips i guess it was a period in time where whips were cool again Mm -hmm. for a few years yeah, how, how long after that was uh, after Antonio Banderas and uh, Anthony Hopkins brought whips into Zorro? Was that that far off? Viewers, I that? think so. 
So that was probably part of that. I think so. Because that also helped, too. You know, they used mm. a lot of whips in that one. Yeah. In which one? Well, any of the Zorro, the new Zorro with Antonio. Like, Anthony snuffed candles. Zorro swung to save his life, you know. Mm-hmm. Yes. They had a lot more whips in the second movie than the first, unless I'm mistaken. Yeah. I, I don't yeah, remember enough about the second one. Yeah, maybe a but, toss uh, up there. Well, I know. Mm. Uh, yeah. Sometimes my day job comes into contact with my sideline. In this section of the podcast, we go on to discuss the physics of whip falls, fine-tuning falls, attaching falls, the width of the end of the fall, the width of where the fall is attached to the whip. Uh, These are things that are not very frequently talked about, and it was really interesting to hear Franco's idea as well as Steve and Blake's ideas on this subject. We talked about a few of the questions that I had proposed earlier as uh, things that we might talk about. And one of them was, how do you think, how do you guys figure out if a, if a fall is well tapered or well made? Like when you're cutting out a fall, mm-hmm. how do you figure out if the taper is good? Steve, why don't you field this one? Yeah, you guys are the two or three. I'll go next. Or I'll jump in unless you really want to take that. Well, you know. I've been working for Blake now, working with Blake uh, for yeah, just under a year, and uh, I found that I was not the pickiest person when it came to falls before I started working for Blake. And when I started working with Blake, he made it very clear that that my my choice in falls was uh, <laughs> left something to be desired, for sure. And I've learned a lot, so. Basically, what I look at is, and and this is what I keep hearing, and I'm going to say it, and I know the majority of the people that hear me say this have heard it before, and that is the fall should attempt to continue the taper of the whip. And, and what I like to do is basically, you know, if I've got a whip that ends with a point, let's say that's six millimeters, just for argument's sake, I'd like for my fall to be that wide, but not that thick uh you know it it, it, it's going to have some thickness to it but i don't want it quite six millimeters thick i don't want it to be every bit as big as the end of the whip but about the same width Mm -hmm. and then as far as taper goes i don't i I just want i just want to see a noticeable taper in the fall and i want that taper to hopefully be somewhat even throughout the fall i don't want it to be in any one spot very suddenly whether it be towards the uh, you know the popper or towards the fall hitch I just like to see that that fall overall tapers nicely mm-hmm. and is roughly the same size uh, as far as width goes as the point of the width the whip is by the eye at the at the at the uh, fall hitch yeah yeah so like the only other things that I look for is obviously you want the fall to be real well rounded which is something that I really got to get a lot better at uh, you know <clears throat> I got to get a lot better at all of it, but me too. That's about the only way I could sum up what I look for in a fall. You know, sometimes you can see that this fall has taper, but it all happens right here instead of evenly throughout that fall. Mm -hmm. And uh, I, again, working with Blake, I learned a lot about falls and that a a fall has a drastic effect on the ease with which the whip will crack. Mm -hmm. I mean, yeah, you can get a, a whip and you can say you hate it. And it's usually, I'll tell you what, it might be the whip, but generally it's like, it's the fall. Mm-hmm. 
you know, I, I'm surprised some of the falls I've seen on reputable whips, but you know, some people have, you know, that you know, just I don't know, they, it tapers in, it'll crack. They're not looking to make a performance whip. They're not looking to make a performance fall on that model. So it's, you know, that can affect it. That would be my guess why it's so thick or chunky or doesn't work as well. Mm -hmm. But you know, like a lot of people will, will get these crappy whips and uh, you know they'll buy these cheap eBay. And it's not really a fall, it's like a slap of leather, you know, and they'll be like, what can be done? And they'll, they'll, they'll contact me or other people and say, hey, you know, uh, can you help me with this? Uh, it's falling apart. And I'm just like, well, you should have got it all in the beginning because you can probably spend 80 bucks on this. Let me put a fall on it. It'll crack, crack at least two to three times better than it did yeah. compared to what they put on it. You mm -hmm. know, and so sometimes that's an option for people that can't buy big whips. Just look at it, throw it to a whip maker, say, hey, if I got you that, could you put a fall on that? And you yeah. think it'll crack better? Right. And, and those that are trying to get with the Indiana budget group, not quoting Adam's whip, but, you know, they're like, I just want to get a cheap Mustang cowboy from eBay. Mm. You know, that might be another option for them to fix it. Yeah. That fall can make or break things. It really can. Hmm. Yeah. And like you said, we, we do see a lot of really nice whips with really bad falls and crackers on them. I think the first thing I look for, you know, obviously I, I do most of my work in nylon so you don't have a lot of flexibility is you know obviously you can't taper nylon but what you can do is you know feed the nylon halfway through itself and then cut it's cut off there inside and then it's just you know a single layer but i look for with leather falls the first thing i look for is the the point where you attach the cracker like i like to see that pretty thin you know if i, I don't like to see anything more than probably a quarter of an inch and um you know as we discussed right. a good taper is, is really important but yeah, where, where the whip braiding ends, um, I think the fall should obviously be no no larger than that where the eye is, and then a good taper down to a fairly thin point. Um, I think some of the falls that I prefer, some might you know consider to be, eh, it's a little thin towards the end, but I, I just feel like it really lends itself towards uh, easier cracking. So, What's the little thin for you? Uh, man, I would probably say anything less than uh, I don't know, maybe I'm trying to visualize this, but, uh, quarter inch, I'd say anything less than like an eighth of an inch. So that's three that's, millimeters. Yeah. Three like, millimeters, like four millimeters. About seven. Yeah. Three makes it a quarter. Yeah. Three point five. So, yeah. Right. But yeah. So just to explain where this question came from is I, I too tend to put a lot of attention on falls, and and I think uh, Blake and Steve can attest to that because they they had one of mine in their hands. Yeah, <clears throat> nice whip. Oh, thank you. Mm -hmm. um, but one of the things that I, I realized as I was pre prepping a fall is if I take the fall by the base where you'd have the eye. And I basically try to do a wrap around my wrist. I can tell from doing that how the energy flows. Hmm. And basically, if that thing wraps really, really with a lot of energy around my wrist, I know it's I know I've done a decent job at it. Mm -hmm. You guys get what he's doing. So he's, he's, sla he's slapping it like one of those plastic wrist slaps. Right, right. So he's just slapping it and let it wrap around to see how smoothly it evenly wraps around mm -hmm. the point or how quick or yeah. Yeah. That's a nice little trick, Franco. Yeah. I, it just, I realized that sometimes if I just take off a tiny, tiny, tiny amount, 
it'll improve that energy flow so much. Mm -hmm. Make the big difference. Yeah. Yeah. There's a lot. There's a lot to falls, and you don't have to have a lot to fall and fall science for the average person. And it, you know, as long as it it tapers, it'll work. But I mean, there's so much taking consideration. So, you know, when it comes to you know me looking at falls, first of all, you got to realize what am I making a fall for? Is it a stock whip? Is it a pocket snake whip? Is it a full size snake whip? Is it a bull whip? Is it an Indian Jones <clears throat> ten foot? Because you know when you're talking about an indie, you know like depending on when I get to make things my way, or if I'm really trying to craft it to a customer, that changes things too. I like more of a performer with lighter weight, not a real as thick as people would expect in indie, you know. But like I like table better, so I like a thinner point. But you also don't want to go too thin on an indie, being a long whip, being over six feet, you know, being something that's going to take a lot more torque and more momentum than a regular five foot. So it's mm -hmm. like depending on the length of the whip, depending on the type of whip. Because, you know, like, I'll make a true mini that I watched Joe make in front of me while we were hanging out. And he made it, like, you know, 12 plat. It's just a core with a 12 plat. And he made it, like, I don't know, an hour and a half. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, two hours wasn't long. But, like, you know, when he, when he made that, and I got to realize you just got a nail. You got, uh, like, a piece of kangaroo or cow that's a core. And then you put an overlay. So we're talking, what, 9.5, 10 millimeters on a nail spike. And then you're talking two millimeters added with the core and four millimeters with the overlay, you're only talking something that's almost the size of a stock whip thong or a pocket snake where it's about 14 millimeters when you're done, you know? So give or take around there, you know, you wouldn't want something that's six millimeters, not wide. Let's talk about the thickness of the fall. <laughs> you know, it's like, you know, if you get eight to nine, yeah. you know, I like to get like eight or nine ounce white alum high, you know, alum tan hide for like the Indies. But I also mm -hmm. will split some of that off. And and that's good to be able to split different layers. While like the Indian tan where there's already top and bottom layers, if you can't find the right thickness, you can't use it because you can't shave it off. Mm -hmm. Unless you're getting some other latigo where you can. So, yeah. you know, when you're looking at that stuff, you know, like uh, say a fall hitch on an Indy should be about the, the, the width of the strands. The last thing on the last inch or two of that should just be the two strands over the last drop. So mm -hmm. the, the strand width of those dictate the thickness as well as the size of your, your, your six strands left that wrap around it. So if you're look, you know, and, and like if you were to make an Indy, I think Joe looks for about 4.5, you know, four is what he looks for. Maybe, maybe he'll go thicker on a David go a little thicker, but like I would go one time I sent him one that was more like three millimeters and he was like, that's the lowest you would ever want to go. And I learned that lesson. He was like, we would not want it any smaller on a 10-foot indie. Mm -hmm. Three millimeters on those six millimeters. Not the, the tip diameter, but the strand width. Strand width, yeah. And I'm talking about each strand at three millimeters. He said, because, you know, when you're taking that abuse, those three millimeters, it's a finer point, and it does make a finer crack, but he's like, you want it thicker. So if your, your strand width is 3.5 or 4 versus 4.5, and the last drop strands are what's the filler also makes it thicker, you want to appropriate whatever it is you desire to kind of match the fall. So if you're making an indie style whip and you know, I would get like eight to nine ounce cowhide, but I might shave it down to where not the width thickness, but the actual thickness might be more like, you know, four to five millimeters. But then again, if you're looking at like something for a stock whip, you'd like to get it more closer, like three millimeters as far as thickness, not width, mm -hmm. you know, or something to where the, where the fall point is so small, you wouldn't yeah. want six millimeters thick. You'd want more like, you know, four or whatever or three so yeah you, when you're looking at all these different models you want all different types of thickness sides or different to do it and so and like some of the australians make real thin ones like you get a schultz i even had peter where the end of the fall is one millimeter mm. <laughs> very tips like wow 1.5 1. or two that's very tiny thin. yeah and then i've also but you gotta realize the fall start off about four millimeter well 
four or five millimeters wide, but it was also was a thinner material. So you gotta realize, depending on the thickness of your material, that does affect how wide would you want it. Yeah. So right. I'll look at the, the thickness of it, and then, I, then like I said, if we're talking an indie, I'm expecting it to be about, uh, I would like the overall diameter of the foliage to be anywhere from five to 6.5. You know, like I'd like it anywhere in there. Five's a little thin, that works. 4.5, I mean, anywhere, you know, so, if you're gonna, generally most whip makers say on a full size whip or six, they'd be like, well, I'd want it about start around six millimeters and then three. And that's pretty common how most people would want it. But once again, if you're slimming down the whip, you gotta slim down the fall. Mm -hmm. And so if it's a fatter hitch, you gotta realize, here's the interesting thing, it start, when you're like, well, you wanna match the fall, you know, but you got this long rectangle. Well, I'm like, you're also gonna get more of a square. And you gotta realize you're putting a rectangle in a circle so if it's as thick as it is wide, it's going to be too chunky. That's why you don't want it to be as thick as it is wide where you start. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. Yeah. You know, and then here's what I was thinking yep. about too. Uh, this is just a revelation to me. You know, like a lot of people are talking about, you know, braiding in like a signal whip and it creates a better taper and a bolt doesn't give it to you. And I got to tell you, I, I understand that concept and it does create a shorter, shorter whip if you're looking for that stuff, you know, real, but I got to tell you, if you realize you're putting again about a solid piece of leather of cow not kangaroo you're making that six millimeters added at the end where there is kangaroo six of these eight strands there that all wrap around where it connects and it even sticks out a little it balances off real splendidly especially if you ever watch joe strains or you know good crack you know whips like from franco me steve it's like it is a smooth transition when I wear the ball. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you know, it's like they try to make it sound like it's so much better because I want a bullwhip with this braided signal tip, and I'm like, it's you don't realize there's not some chunky spot. That only happens really with, I would say, people that haven't mastered all they need to master or fall signs too. It, it mm. will affect that, but when you get better at it and doing it and tapering falls and I you know understand appropriate it, mm. it really is a smooth transition smooth transition mm -hmm. done right and a fall can change that because you have a whip that's great fall sucks and you look at it you always i'm going to slim this up or get a little lighter here and it fits in better in the eye and it just comes out in a better way you know just like you said throw it around your wrist and you'll realize mm -hmm. you know like so because the biggest problem is if you have a fall too long that's where you crack it you get a whip and if you you have it too short it kind of tugs out of your hand mm -hmm. and so like other whip at casey kind yeah. of get really in depth where you'd be like i test crack it and then trim it and he's like, I do all these cracks. And he, he's one of the few people in the world where it even matter and get that. You know, but, you know, so I, I have certain parameters on my fall wings. Like, I, I, I kind of do what Joe did. Joe kind of even things out eventually because I tried a lot of stuff. Like, well, if it's an eight foot, it's so many inches. And if it's a 10 foot, it's an extra inch and a half. Or, you know, I do that stuff. But I'm like, hey, Joe, what do you do? And he's like, uh, what if it's uh, six foot? He's like 32 inches. I'm like, well, if it's uh, eight foot, he's at 32 inches. I'm like, okay, what about 10 or 12, right? 32 inches. I'm like, <laughs> he's like, no. Like, what if, it, all right, what if it's shorter than six foot? He's like, like what? Like five foot? He said thirty inches. I said okay. Yeah. And then, then it's like you know four foots two, three foots eighteen. It's kind of standard. But you know he's like it's all right. It's it's enough. It's like it, you know you don't need to worry about oh it's a twenty foot whip. Let's get a four foot fall on it. Yeah. You know. <laughs> I got to try out one of your whips in Germany, Franco. Uh, it was one that really? Nico Fisher had. My friend Nico, he was telling yeah. me that he got one from you and beautiful work, man. That was the first. I think the only whip I I ever. Uh, tried out that you made and it was really nice we we cracked i don't know if you saw the videos or not but we cracked it inside of that big uh gasometer the big empty uh fuel storage oh, tank yeah, from, yeah that, that was a blast man that was that was fun but very nice whip i was really really oh thank you very much with it. yeah so franco on the <clears throat> on the whip of yours that me and blake got to crack i did notice that your fall 
was uh, really round and uh, yes, yeah. it, it, was, yeah. it was prepped really good. So I just wondered, you know, what what kind of process do you go through? Uh, I good don't know. Question. That that might provide, you know, or uh, yield such a round fall. What do you, what do you do to get that? Yeah. Okay, so here's here's what I do. I my favorite fall leather is white hide. So even if if I'm making uh, black fall, um, I'll hand dye the white hide black hmm. just because I, I I know how that leather I know how to work that leather right mm-hmm. and yeah. and I like how it behaves I like how it ages so that's kind of where I'm starting from right mm-hmm. so I start with white hide and anyone who's ever worked with white hide knows when you get it it's really really dry yep yeah yeah it's it's you like cardboard you know yeah mm-hmm. like you're if you have so really I'll, good alum tan your razor blade will dull you, mm-hmm. if you don't get that hide wet and let it soak you can't even cut it mm-hmm. <laughs> you could use it for armor yeah, yeah armor. <laughs> stuff is strong <laughs> so what i do is i'll i'll cut the blank and it i'll I, i'll cut it just a smidgen bigger than what i really want just because i know it'll stretch and with the stretch, it'll, it'll come down a little bit. Um, so let's assume that I'm not working on a black fall. Let's assume I'm just working on a normal white fall. Uh, so I've got the blank cut out, which obviously is cut with the paper. And um, then I'll, uh, I'll pair the four, et- four corners. And I'll pair them as much as I can to get it rough, roughly rounded, if I can say so. Mm-hmm. Then I'll, I'll put a, a really large amount of plating soap on it. And before I put the plating soap, what I do is, and this is maybe an overly complicated way of going about doing it, but I tie at the tip of the fall what amounts to a really long cracker. Hmm. And that cracker is not meant to be cracked. It's meant to wrap around my hand. Hmm. So when I'm pulling, when I'm rounding the fall with a loop of leather going back and forth, mm-hmm. I'm not holding the fall by the leather. Hmm. I'm holding the fall by that long cracker and what that does is it just allows me to get right up to the tip uh of that little cracker knot Mm -hmm. so i got a question uh yeah okay so to visualize better so you're saying uh with this like so you hang on to it say your left hand legs and right hand right and I, so you taper this. Does that mean you just like slide it across like a strop with one hand? I mean, how can you? How do you hold the cracker and? No, he's he's using uh-huh. he's holding the cracker while he's rounding oh, it. Oh, right. yeah. kangaroo. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Sorry, I was thinking he was like prepping it. So like, <laughs> that would be that? tricky. Like, well, when, I, so you're the way when I'm prepping, you know, like a samurai. <laughs> yeah. When I'm, he just when like, I'm prepping the fall, he's, he's I, I've got the eye on a hook. 
Yeah. 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 I got you. I got you. I thought you were prepping it that way. I didn't think you were, I missed the round. So. <clears throat> he, he thought he thought that when no. you were holding the cracker, you're actually still somehow prepping. using the razor to to to, <laughs> to bevel. No, 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 no. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's like. Really? I'm like, wow. I'm like, how do you do it? Samurai whip. I'm like, you just sit there and just slice it like a strap. You just strap the blade across and prepare. So, so what I do there, Franco, is typically I just cut my fall way longer than I know I'm going to want it to be. It might be close to 40 inches. Yes. And just, and just hold on to the leather. So you just basically have wasted less material and tie something on to give yourself some, uh, some uh, purchase. Well, yes and no. The reason I'm doing it is because I find I get, I can put a lot more tension on the fall and really go at it with that loop to round it. That's one thing. Mm -hmm. uh, and yes, it does. It, it might save a little bit of, of material, but I usually, 99% of the time, I end up cut, cutting, uh, a bit of the base of the fall off and making a new eye. Hmm. Yeah. So, yeah, that's common. Yeah. So imagine you've got your your fall that's rounded, you're and you're cutting it maybe three inches from where you, you had your initial eye cut into it. Mm -hmm. And then you put another eye in there. So that means at that point your sides are really rounded. Because they were part of the fall, mm -hmm. they, were, they weren't part of the at the base. So even the sides at the base are really, really round. And my last step is I roll it like a whip. Hmm. I've thought of doing that, but I've never really, you know, gave it uh, any effort. I, I just I always wondered if that would make a difference. And obviously, now that you say that, and I've seen your fall at. That, that might be something that might be a step I want to try to include. So, mm -hmm. how do you do that? Do you tie the fall? Uh, the do you tie, does nope. like tie it off? Yeah, go ahead. No, I just hold one end of the fall, roll it. I got my rolling board in the other one, in the other hand, and just kind of roll yeah, it. But I mean, you could tie it if you want. Yeah, but you're not, you're not. No, but it's not you're that not long. down with all your weight like you're rolling a whip. You're just hand rolling it. Yeah. Okay, so this happens before you tie it onto the whip. Yes. Hmm. All right. Yes. Okay. Mm -hmm. Then that'd be better to round it up by the eye better, too. Hmm. That's yeah, now, like usually I understand what, most of... Go on. Go ahead. Oh. <laughs> usually what we do... I, I was just going to say, <laughs> I, I don't know how... how uh, Can you hear me clear? I don't know how relevant or important this is in the overall action of the whip. I just like how it looks. Yeah, 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 yeah me uh, too. You know, it's nice. Yeah, it's a nice touch. You know, well, it's like that's what you know. Like my instructor, one thing we'd always say is that that what separates the best from the rest is the little details. Yeah, because all those little extras quantify the overall look. That much better, you know, aerodynamically. I'm sure or, it does. Or just even aesthetically pleasing. I mean, yeah. You know, if you were about to spend ten thousand dollars on a car and the engine was better on one, but it looked like crap, <laughs> and the other car looked good and the engine still gets where you're going, you're not going to buy the crap looking car. Mm. You know, so it's like, you know. It, it, it heightens the, the wrapping paper. Well, I think, too, the, the farther... Whipmakers are the type of guys that the, the farther you get down the rabbit hole, the more critical you become of your own work. Mm -hmm. So you just start to see yeah. more things, and you start to want to get better at all these other things that before you just didn't even 
think about. Now, whether or not that even relates or, or transcends to the customer, they might just get that whip and look at it and go, yep, looks cool, and hang it up and put it on their costume. You know, probably. Yeah. yeah, they're probably not like us. They're probably not looking at the fall to see if it really matches that whip or if you just grab one off the wall and tied it on because you were tired that day. Yeah, it's mm. rarely I have a finished whip and I'm I'm happy, like extremely happy with it. And don't get me wrong, I, I make good whips, but I look at it like, here's what I think perfection is. I'm going to start with 100% as the goal. Mm. You know, and I'm happy to settle around 95 to 90. <laughs> if I get anywhere to, you know, 95% of everything is great, but there's something in there that I don't like, but it's not aesthetically unpleasing to anyone else. It's just like, I didn't like that one little thing. I just felt like the diamond plot world had such a small move there. Mm -hmm. There's something, it doesn't even matter, but to me, it's like, all I see is that, and it's kind of hard for me to appreciate it. Yeah. You know, but I'll appreciate, well, that was really good here and that, but for the most part, all I can, you know, you get so critical. Yeah. All you see is like I just know this one strand right there snapped out and bring it in and it ticked me off and that thing that process was an uphill battle out of it and it just you know that's all I can see anymore you know you know, you know it's still a fantastic piece but yeah you just that's how critical we get it's get it gets pretty nutty if you're yeah. you're an artist trying to be a real good if you're always trying to strive at being an artist it's right it's nutty well I, again I, I I agree at at that point I'm probably doing it more for myself than I am for the customer. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, but that, you know, the fall being part of the whip, it's one of those things that I try to get as good as I can. Yeah, mm -hmm. I think it's one of and the most better from underrated things that a lot of whip makers that are definitely learning, they don't realize that a lot of these whips probably crack twice as good if they just did a little more fall signs because that's the very end tip of transforming the momentum <laughs> mm -hmm. you know that can make or break yeah. all that momentum is now going to transfer into getting to that little cracker and it'll make or break a whip it can, i mean usually decent enough falls all right you know do it, but it can sometimes really offset things mm -hmm. and then they're like i don't like this whip it don't crack very well for me it's like well it, it may not even be the whip mm. yeah i mean i don't i don't go so so far as to make a religion out of it but oh. you know but i try to do the best i can yeah. Yeah, our process is pretty similar as far as like, you know, I try to get something like, like what I'll do is I just kind of throw my cowhide out and then I have to look at it. And it is good to take it or whatever I've got, whether I've been trying bison and latigo and other things at my local oil shop. It's been really hard to find good Indian tan oil slick. Uh, uh, yeah, Indian tan latigo like like Joe used. It's been really hard to find the states. Me and Casey had been over backwards looking. I had Peter looking. I had a few other people looking for me. It was like Peter had Simon looking and a few other people we had just been kind of hard to find what I wanted that Joe had. But, like, you know, so I'm, I'm looking for a lot of stuff. But I always want to get a test sample first because you can't always tell where the fuzzies are. And if it falls fuzzy, it's weak. And so, and also where it's fuzzy, it'll stretch more. So a lot of times, if you got a giant hide in front of you, you, you might want to do a couple different trial strips. And you, although you don't want to cut in the middle yet, you should probably run a couple trial strips and a couple sections where it's on the hardest part, you know, around the back. And then just kind of see... You know, as you get farther down, where it stretches more, stretches different. And then the best thing would do if for some reason you're just like, I don't have enough to have where the hardest part of this fall will be at the tip. Like if you have the whole fall, like the whole fall will be hard. You would want to probably try having more of the softer side if you ever have to gamble. Like, well, you might just make smaller falls, smaller whips, but you might want the softer side by the eye. Because what you don't want is the hard eye and a soft tip. And I'd rather just stay away from soft altogether. Don't get me wrong. But if a little of it breaches up there, but if you had soft in the middle, 
you know, this is the only reason why Franco cut it wider than hand taper it because, you know, if it is softer in the middle and it had a nice pleasing taper, say I just laid it out and cut it straight out. Well, when you stretch it, it now automatically slims up really bad and then fattens up again like a, you know, like a chunky spot. So you, mm. you want to know your fall beforehand and then look at it and be like, well, how's the best way to cut this up to get the most falls out of it? You know, and so you got to, that, that's a big process. But if I had my ideal way and all was good, I would want to cut it about 40 inches and then I want 32. But I might start around 6.5 or I doubt I'd hit 7, but about 6.5 is a start. And yet I might end around 2.5 or 2 millimeters because it's 40 inches or 44. And so there I have a wide range of a fall now. So depending on where I want to end yeah. it, and also farther down where it starts, where I decide to put the eye, it'll also be farther down and smaller towards the tip. So wherever I get it, it'll kind of keep the same accuracy. So I'll cut like 100 or 200 falls out. And then whenever I make a whip, I get to choose through all of them looking by how where the smallest tip is that I'm looking for and where it seems to taper well and look up to find the measurement to find the exact fall and where I'd want to cut that fall in to make that whip better. And, and that's a lot easier than trying to do one out every time. I can't stand getting down the whip and thinking, now let's make a fall. I'm like, I have 100 to pick through already cut and prepped and then I can just place it where I want it, snip it, eye it, tip it. <laughs> Smack it up, flip it, rub it down. <laughs> so, it's done and dusted. What what, what you would, what you were just talking about about a moving on that fall on that fall, moving where you want the start and the and the base of it to be. That's something that aside from myself and the present conversation we're having now, I've never, ever heard anyone speak of this. Well, I don't know if or I... Or have I ever seen it in a book? Well, this is... I don't know. I never learned it from anyone. This is just coming from analyzing, thinking, how do I do this? And mm -hmm. it also probably, once again, comes yeah. from necessity of, I'm going to make a hundred falls because I'd rather spend a day doing that than having to deal with that okay. every time. And, and, I, and this is stuff I'm trying, you know, I, I know Steve, you know, it's been, it's different working in my environment because I'm trying to maximize every moment I can. So instead of cutting out one belly, then stretching it, then prepping it, attaching, braiding, go cut out a second belly, you should just cut everything out in one sitting and then stretch it all together, then prep it all together, warm up on the bellies, go to the overlay, you know, how it goes and then braid it all together, you know, so like anything that can make that better, like falls, you know, I'd rather have do them all in one day and then have a nice selection that I can easily pick through now and find just the perfect one until we start getting slim to like the last 20. <laughs> and then I also don't have to worry about it. I'm ready to finish my job, throw that on, throw a cracker, roll that, get it moving, you know? Mm -hmm. So I have a lot of my operation working around that because I mean, I just made like 350 whips this year. Steve probably, oh, Steve helped with a chunk of those and different layers on some of those, not all of those. Wow. But with that, Steve also probably contributed. Well, I, I'd say between me and Steve, we did about 400 to 450 whips this year, which is an all-time record for me. You know, but between all of us, it's you know he's got wow. something to try. I probably did about 200 without Steve. I and then the, out of the other 150 plus or 200, I might have done about four this year. Steve, Steve had his hand on a lot of that. I might have done 100 without Steve, but other than that, it's like he's done layers. Whether I've said make this, toss this, put a core here, I, I cut, stretch, prep, braid, we pass. I mean, we've got it. We never know until we're looking on the board where we're at, what to do. You know, I, I give, I got certain side pink, got some, but like when you're doing all that, last thing we want to do is now in the middle of trying to rush out all this stuff that we're spending. You know, we're not just running through and rushing, but it's like I don't want to waste the time to appropriate every fall at every moment because it'd be better to have that 200 to stare through. Well, see, from my point of view, the way I was doing it before I really started working with Blake, I wasn't making that many whips, so 
I would make a whip and then try to make a fall for that whip. It's also more of a re- mm. like a religious experience at that point, or more of a ritual, or a, when you get to just sit there and make a whip and enjoy it. <laughs> like I get to enjoy every step and taking my time. It it probably it does make it can it's, be better to do it that way and do every step and appreciate every layer. It's therapeutic. It was just frustrating to try to get the fall right for that whip, and then when I come out here and I finish a whip and it's time to tie on a fall, and you've got. 200 falls to choose from it just becomes a matter of finding one that tapers nice Mm -hmm. and then finding the point on that whip where it matches the size of your braided point Mm -hmm. and then cutting it off it it almost became just the way we you had to do it you know and so yeah it it it, It kind of i just i guess i morphed it i don't know if anyone else does it like that but it just kind of morphed that way with me like that's just how i just did it and just developed yeah, and you know I haven't seen or read anything like that either. But it is a very good way to do it because when you're master, I mean you're a big operation. You're not just making a whip on your weekends when you're not working, or you got downtime and a little bit every night. You know, yeah, like you, right? Yeah, you just pick a fall that you like that looks good, that's rounded, and and uh, that matches your whip. Cut it where it needs to be cut. Put a new eye on it. Tie that dude on, and you know you're uh, off to the races. Yes, and you also see people want to buy falls. You know, and the last thing I want to do while I'm in the middle of like a produ- I got a production or I got some big thing going on is now I got to stop and cut three falls for this guy. So when I have 200 on the wall, it's not a big deal to get an order, snip, 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 make sure, you know, I recondition or do whatever I need, you know, make sure it's supple when it goes out. And, you know, I don't have to worry about spending time on that. You know, it's another mm. way it helps speed up other hiccups. Mm. Yeah. Like I use Kane's crackers, Joe Strain's younger sister, or his older sister used to do, or what the older of it. <laughs> Not she's the younger sister, but her older sister used to do it for him. But she makes them for stage props. Casey, me, Paul Nolan. I guess Steve technically right. <laughs> uses all my stuff. But like, <laughs> I'd rather go to her because last thing I want to, you know, you, Peter Thorndike. I talked to him. He said, "Blake, you kind of ruined me." Because I tell him like, last thing I want to do is sign a cracker. You know, I'm like, or make a cracker. I mean, make a cracker. I'm like, mm-hmm. I got all this to do. I just want to get it done and dusted, done and dusted. You know, hmm. so we'll just. Uh, I'll be like, I'd rather buy it from her, support her. She makes a better product. At the end of the day, I don't have to worry about making, you know, every time I make a whip, make like five extra or three extra complimentary crackers, and then the one on the whip, I just, I can just, I already have a box of them, I pop it on, I put a few in a bag, I throw mm. it out, and I advertise for it, and I'm like, I'd rather spend, you know, $5 on that and have them crackers made by her that saves me maybe 10, 20 minutes, maybe less. I mean, I, you can do about a cracker a minute when you're on full speed, but... You know, I can't do it as good as her. I do a good job, but you know, I, I've done a few hundred in my life. Don't get me wrong, but I'm just like I'd rather pass it off, and it's a time saver. So there's a lot of things I do based on that. Interesting. And it also gives me a more superior product, in my opinion, to have her crackers on. It's what Joe used his whole life. It's why he showed her how to do, as well as his older sister. Girls made a million already. Tell me, I can catch up to her. <laughs> so, do you make your own crackers, Franco? Yes, I do. <laughs> I do everything from A to Z. <laughs> There's nothing wrong with that. No, it's not. There's something to be said for that, you know. That's one of the things that I like about uh, the whole process, you know. Uh, I had a customer one time I was uh, on the on the phone with, and uh, he had just received the whip, and we were talking about it, and he, he was, uh, you know, happy with it. We were talking about the wrist loop because they were different, you know, the, the knots were a uh, different color than the thong and the wrist loop, and I told him, that the knots were cut from one hide and the wrist loop and the the overlay were cut from a you know a different hide and he he was mm-hmm. amazed by the fact that i actually made the wrist loop he's like wow you make the wrist loop too and i'm like <laughs> you think i just braided this 12 foot 
you know, 12 plat whip and went to Hobby Lobby and bought a wrist loop or something. TJ you know? Maxx and ripped it off a purse. Yeah. <laughs> I bought a purse and bought a TJ Maxx bargain bag. Yeah. He, yeah. He, he was completely unaware that, that that was made by me as well, which I can't fathom. But Oh, yeah. listen. The, the amount of different skills that go into making a whip, if you do everything yourself from start to finish, you... You have to understand the leather. You have to understand how to cut it, how to prep it, how to plait it, how to finish it. And speaking of finishes, well, then you get into the shellacking. Right. Okay, mm-hmm. so if you're going to do it and make your own mix, then you got to learn about shellac. you got to figure out how that works. Right. So there's all these different... Same thing for... I mean, it's not a big deal, but... Same thing for the plaiting soap. Yeah, that's... Uh, there's all there's all these little connecting skills that go into whip making, as well as connecting uh, sources. So your handle foundation. Well, if you're doing an indie, that's easy enough. You go to the hardware store, but if you're making something that's a little bit more of a long handle i don't know about you guys but where i live there's no spring steel available to the hardware store right so you got to source that out you got to figure out well where do i get spring steel i'll tell you why you want to hear something wild wild about spring steel Mm. you're right this blew my mind but i couldn't you know uh, my, my dad you know, actually kind of became really supportive of me the past few years. And like, uh, I was talking about spring, you know, you see me show me sandals, says, what is it? I'm like, it's spring steel. And then, yeah, I saw about where I get it. I said, well, I have, to, I have gone before in a pinch. If you don't have any, if you go to like a Home Depot or whatever, they have about a, a, a three foot rod. And what you, and what it is, it's got this little bit on it. So if you're doing a wall that's already up and you need to drill through like several studs to get to electrical socket, uh, it's made of spring steel. It's like three feet, but it's like 25, you know, 25, 30 bucks, but you can get, you know, two, two, three, 12 inch handles out of it. But mm-hmm. anyway, so I said, well, I have to do that unless I order it from a guy I got, but in a pinch, I got to do it anyways. And so, you know, when you, you, you farm and you have, uh, there's a thing that it's like a hay rake. And what it does is as you, you spin it around, it just flips the hay over to dry on the other side when it's in its rows after it's been cut. You know what I'm talking about? What goes on the back of a truck yep. like a giant hay rake. He says those are spring steel, and he says they tend to break off all the time. And he just he collects them, although I didn't use them. But the thing is, if you got a farmer that has one of those hay rakes, all those weird pokes, those are the same diameter of the spring steel you kind of put on a handle. And so you just have to uh, okay. s- smooth them all up. If you ever need spring steel, you just find a farmer with these broken off. Hmm. I'm just, I didn't know that, and I've never used it. And like, although he wanted to give me, I'm like, that's great. But when I thought, well, the time it would take me to... You know, I'd rather spend two, three dollars on a piece than, you know, take the time to stand it off. But it was nice to know that in a pinch, mm-hmm. those combine or those hay rakes, they, they do break off on occasion. But, like, that's all they are. You could just find a broken one and pull it off. Mm-hmm. I just want to throw it out there. That was an oddball thing I found out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Ago. So you mentioned. I mean, I, I get my spring steel from Roy. Roy Parton. Yeah, I've been getting yeah. it from him, too. He's a good source for that. Roy Parton the second yeah. is that what it is? Roy Parton the second, and uh, you can you can find him on uh, Facebook, and uh, he does also supply other things. I can't remember. He has a website. I can't remember the name of it right now though. 
But he has somewhere he'll even sell some kangaroo that he'll he'll actually if he has a kangaroo for sale he actually it's that one for sale. The Whip Nation. And maybe it's Whip Nation. Yeah, Whip Nation. But he uh, what's nice about him if you want to buy a skin he shows a picture of the the top of it and that or or in the back so you see that that's he says it's eighty two de- you know DM yeah, yeah, and yeah. like he'll show it. so whatever you're ordering you're ordering exactly what you're looking at instead of here's a red skin which I think that's kind of cool it's a lot of effort yeah, <laughs> you know. Right. But, you know, he has a few mm-hmm. on hand he does that with. But that's kind of cool because you know what you're buying on that picture. You're buying and then he'll mark it sold, you know. Yeah. He only has like five or six up at a time, but that's kind of cool. He offers mm-hmm. a lot of other little whip making stuff like that, like spring steels on different sizes and other stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And one of the other things that I, I had trouble sourcing at, at start was uh, lead and mm-hmm. sheep. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that flashing. Uh, Lead flashing. Yeah. I, I don't know about you guys. I get mine from Roto Metal. Yep. I think I do too. Uh, I got well, mine from Blake Bruning. <laughs> <laughs> I buy in bulk. Like I'll buy like you know, I'll buy like you know a four foot by eight foot section. You know, mm. in different ways. So like I oh, wow. have enough to last for a year. That'll last me maybe a year or less. And so I just get it in littler sections and then cut it off into twelve inches or less. Run through a paper uh, paper cutter and I just chop them off how I want them. Paper cut. That's a, a good idea. Time. Yeah. The scissors get worse. I learned that trick from Paul, or I heard Paul did that. He used a paper cutter, huh. but it's a lot easier to do stuff, and it just cuts right through it. You just get, get it straight paper for fifteen. Yeah, straight, and you can and, and see. Well, if you have to cut it, it's not already like twelve inches or ten, whatever fits through there. Well, you can you make it right. You can actually use the paper cutter to cut up every edge, so it can slide through smooth again. But yeah, but yeah, let's fly. I, whatever, well, that- I, there's one in Indianapolis, and I don't know if Roto Metals is in Indianapolis, but it turns out whatever I found out, I got it too, is in Indianapolis, but I've never grown there. So I don't know if that's Roto Metals or not, but I have used Roto Metals, and the place I do use is actually an Indian. They tend to be the best deal, whatever it was. Like pound for pound, they give us, they give you the most for the cheapest price. And when you buy in bulk, it like quantifies how much you get. As an experienced whip maker, we may make whips that crack very well. But every now and then, we make a whip that cracks exceptionally well. It is as if the whip is an extension of our own body. It's smooth as butter. It's balanced perfectly. How do we achieve this, especially when we are working on a new design? How can we cut to the chase and predict that our whip will turn out smooth as butter? And what are some of the elements in that building process that takes us there? In this portion of the podcast, we'll discuss these topics. That uh, that actually ties into another question that I had on my list, mm-hmm. which is, how do you predict, like, just a question I'm asking all of you, how do you predict hitting the sweet spot in a build? I don't know that I do. <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> Yeah. Oh, what are you talking about? You talk, what do you mean by sweet spot? Let's elaborate on that. I guess to the best of my ability. Yeah, to the best <laughs> of my ability. Is how I do that. Are you talking about with lead flashes still? You're talking about use that to balance out the rest of the whip or what? I think he's talking about overall taper and, yeah. and, and what are you talking I, about? I mean when you're I mean when you're cracking that whip. Oh. Uh-huh. And it just feels like you know, when you're you're hitting that baseball on the bat yeah. at that sweet spot. Uh-huh. You've got you you've got that whip down. Mm-hmm. you've hit the sweet spot. Let's say you're making a new model. 
uh, it, there might not be much of a difference between what you're doing between this new model and all the other whips that you've ever made, but there's something about it that's different. So how do you predict as you're making it you, that you're going to hit that sweet spot or you don't predict? Okay, um, so you're, you're definitely directing it towards how do we all approach new new prototype or new models or something we've never made before or that's somewhat slightly different. Yeah. So, yeah. Well, if you're talking about like, uh, uh, hold on, that's my neighbor. She's petting cinnamon. She's probably just slow out there. That's my dog, cinnamon. Oh, sorry. I'll let him in. Thank no, you. No, 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 no. I, I just didn't want him to get hit in case a cart come I'll be right with you, Franco. Sorry. Sorry about that, guys. <laughs> We need the Jeopardy theme. Yeah. <laughs> I think we just made a podcast. She's famous. She, she, she pod bombed us. <laughs> she pod bombed us. Franco, for, for me, I mean, you know, nylon is so consistent that, you know, hopefully I can make a whip pretty much the same every time. And, you know, there's, there's still different variations that, you know, sometimes I'll make one. It's like, man, that just seems a little off. And I'm still trying to pinpoint exactly what it is when that does happen. But... You know, every time I make a whip of a certain length, you know, I, I have all of the, the nylon cord, you know, measured out beforehand. Um, so usually it's it's pretty consistent, but, you know, like we were saying, there, there is every now and then a whip that's like, man, this thing is on point. Like like you, the analogy you gave about hitting a baseball, that sweet spot, like I'll feel that. And I'm still at the yeah. point where I, I'm not sure actually how to identify what that is. You know, it's sometimes it's it surprises me. Like I know the whip is going to be, you know, it's decent, it'll crack. But every once in a while, it's just that exceptional, you know, the weight and balance, the transfer of energy down to the fall to the cracker is just, man, I wish I could make this exact whip again. And I try and it's a good whip, but it's not exactly the same. So, you know, I'm not sure. I, I don't think it, at this point in my whip making career, I, I have the skills to actually go, okay, I want it this exact way, especially if I'm, I'm making a new design. Like I, I have to trial and error. I have to write down exactly what I'm doing. I don't think I have that ability to come up with a design in my head and boom, you know, perfect. I, I don't think I'm there yet. It just kind of, most of the time just happens, you know, but what about you guys? Right. I would say that with me, I'm kind of in the same boat to a degree where, you know, when you're when you're making a new model and, and something's something's different, you know, you might end up with a with a result you don't like, uh, and it may not even be because you mm -hmm. you changed something. It may be yeah. because that day yeah. when you braided that whip, you you your hands were sore more sore than they were the day before yeah. or something. Yeah. But I mean, all I can say is what I'm looking at is what's what roughly is the diameter of this whip off of the transition and how do i want this whip to taper you know and hopefully my bellies are already dictating how the how the majority of that's going to happen well the core dictates it all of course yeah but the bellies but, helping but i'm just yeah. i'm just wanting to continue to see that whatever i'm doing down that thong i'm getting I got the taper I want for the first half of the whip, and then it's just a matter of making sure that I get to the diameter that I'm desiring at the end of the whip with a relatively even amount of taper from the second half and then beyond because... Make the best out of the hot dog. Yeah, the second oh. half of the whip doesn't have meat's anything. Meat. When, when I make Non-braided section. It's meat's meat. Making the best out of the meat that's left. Right. Yeah, when I make a whip, the second belly doesn't go beyond the halfway point. 
the 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 tails of that belly do, but not the braiding. So yeah. I, I roughly know yeah. what I'm going to get to the halfway point, as long as my bellies look good. Now I know that from there on out, it's just proper taper of my bolsters and belly tails and dropped strands to hopefully get me to the to the desired size of my point without having that taper happen in one particular area all yeah. of a sudden or anything undesirable like that. Hmm. Yeah. So let me put this in context. Uh, I, I don't know if this has ever happened to you, maybe, maybe not, but it's happened to me where I've made a whip that I'm looking at it and I'm going, it's a decent looking whip and I'm fairly happy with it mm -hmm. and it cracks nicely enough but it doesn't hit that sweet spot yes yes it's just shy of it mm -hmm. I totally and understand. at that point you're you know coming back to what we were saying it could be the fall or it could be something else yeah, it could be the but my question was the heel wave, you, know, like the you guys have wave. a way of predicting that mm -hmm. well if you oh, i don't want to go off forever um Let's see. Uh, first of all, you know, are we talking about, like you said, you're talking about, like, say I made a bull whip, but now I'm making a smaller bull whip, or like a target whip, and I haven't done it. Or I'm making a target whip, but now I'm making a mini whip. So, you know, so we're all sticking with the bull whip. Um, the bright guidelines, first of all, I think can help with all that. You know, with all things, you start defining guidelines. But any prototype you're going to do, say you're making a new model, because if you make a stock whip, it is a whole different process, whole different things you can actually tweak. Like when you're doing with leather, you know, I'm about nylon, but we're doing with leather. You know, you can have it instantly be fat, or you can make it slowly flare up. You know, you, and you're going to adjust everything on that. So you can tweak that on top of that'll affect how wide the keeper is, depending on how small you will need to start if it flares up compared to fat. So, like, the keeper on the thong will be different every time. You got to learn to shape that. You know, you got the keeper on the handle. That can affect things, especially when you're affecting now the keeper on the thong. So, when you're making a whole new thing that's a whole different thing you've never made. You know, I, I would like to think if I've got a prototype, I would like to solve out all my major kinks. And I would like to think within 20 models, you know, yeah, takes yeah. 50 for some people. Great. You know, but like, I would like to think I could do that. But the problem with stock whips I had when it was just doing that was that I would, I made a few on my own to get it down after I visited. I mean, well, Peter showed me how to make one, you know, we spent a while communicating. Then when he made a, I had to make his first bull whip and I helped him on that one. But I, I went to Joe and when I got back from Joe, I made like eight or nine in a row or I tried to do as much as I could on him. But then I started, you know, get, people knew I was doing it. They wanted to try it. They didn't mind. So I started selling them. But the thing is, they didn't want match sets. So that caused a real problem. Because even though I might have made like 40 stock whips now, I technically only made like 25. Because everyone's a match set. And since you're matching it, you're stuck with the, however you made the one match. The other one has to match it. So if there's something off, now you got two mm -hmm. things. So that can cause them. And, and stock whips usually come in pairs. So that, that was a different problem. But, you know, as far as, you know, adjusting other things, like I said, when it comes to bull whips, you know, it's like uh, the, the guidelines I got from Joe Strain are killer, but but because what I do, I do everything by eye, everything by eye. You know, to an extent, like I don't take a single measurement on an eight foot indie, except I make sure it's a, a quarter inch or a little over that past eight feet. So when I roll it, if it shrinks up, it's still eight feet. Mm -hmm. You know, but, you know, but so uh -huh. so or a half inch if it's ten, just because I want to make sure. Because I'll tell you what, a customer won't care if it's a quarter inch off, but they'll care if it's a quarter inch under. You know, they don't yeah. care if it's over, but they don't care if it's on. Uh -huh. You know, so, and also I found, you know, when I was still Joey, somebody he makes it long because that regional shrink, I'm like, I never thought about that, but it probably did. Yeah. Granted, if you started the fall hitch right at eight feet, well, if it did shrink, well, the fall hitch is still on eight feet. That's probably mm -hmm. why it doesn't come up or people don't know why. 
but that's why you always want to go over. Yeah, I think that I'm under the impression that that sweet spot is, you know, of course it's taper for sure. Your ratio from the handle to the end of the whip that has so much to do with it. But I think it's just that pairing of that perfect fall length with the perfect, with you know, that matches the whip perfectly. Because I I've had some whips that I made, you know, that weren't hitting that sweet spot, and after you know really just tinkering with the fall length and the cracker length the thickness of the cracker i was able to maybe not hit that sweet spot but get so much closer to it so i think that it's just right. that relationship you know between that fall yeah and what i'd like to add first of all is the problem comes with the term us find our sweet spot do you see the foul yeah. the problem with that phrase right there what like what is a sweet spot to us right what what you perceive yeah. as a whip yeah. that's perfect to right. me might not that's true. Like, yeah. yeah, like, uh, so like, just like I've said before in past things, like if I make one for Adam, he wants it, of course, tied in the training for several inches, but then he wants it loose the rest of the way, so I mm-hmm. broke it in. Anthony, I gave him one like that. He's like, I want it like this other one you sent where it's perfectly tied at every inch, like if you're full Titus. And like, so that, so it wouldn't even matter to them, probably a sweet spot matters how, how, whether it's supple when it rolls out and already broken in, or it's stiff like a rail that he wants to break in. You know, and then as far as finding out the sweet spots, you got people that want a heavier, thicker whip. I mean, I had a guy from uh, another country say, I want an Adam Savage bullwhip. Can you do it? And as I would always tell Steve when someone asks you that, what do you say? Yes, you can. <laughs> <laughs> I think, though, the four of us, the four of us are whip makers. We've been doing this for a while. But I think, I think we all know, like, when, when Franco gave the, you know, when, you know, the baseball, that, like, I think we all know what that sweet spot is. Maybe it's a little different, but when he said that analogy, I was like, I know exactly what you're talking about. You feel it, the timing. Yeah. It's that crack. You don't yeah, feel yeah. any feedback coming back up. The, like that crack ends that whole motion. Yeah. But you know, when you, know, you talk the about energy, but, so people, I, but people want something and besides the sweet spots, like people want heavier, they want lighter. I, and like when I made it for stunt spectacular show, they don't want it to be a smooth thing. They want it beefy, but they want, I mean, they want the flow I gave it, but they want it, they want a cracker that they want to fall. It's two feet long. They want to know that it's 12 feet from tip to tip. Mm. So with a two feet fall, you got to chunk your thing and they want you got to be fat. You don't want this thing destroying because they try to crack it as hard as they can every time they crack it, mm-hmm. you know? And so there's, you know, I, I, I've had people, I had one guy, Brian, Brian, I want to say his last name is, what's his name? But he went, he's within the LA crew and he wins a lot of the targeting. Brian, how do you say his last name? Russian. Oh, Roaring Backer. Yeah, Roaring Backer. Backer, yeah. Yeah. And, uh, you know, he, he said, hey, uh, I, I would love to get a model of the stunt show. And I'm like, are you sure? And he's like, why is that? I'm like, well, I'm just letting you know. It's like, I do different things. The taper's a little different. It's it, it, It'll throw differently mm-hmm. than what you want. And he got it. And he says, hey, I'm kind of a difficult time cracking. I said, well, I'll make, remake you one or refund you if you don't want it. He says, no, no, I just want to. I said, well, think about this. When they crack a whip, think about being a little more amateurish. Think about being a little sluggish or like a little drunk. You want to add a little more whip. And you want to do it towards the end to get to make it a power crack. And I think that's kind of how I designed it, which is why they love them. You know, because it, it, it mm. does taper faster the quarter mark and has a great taper. But with also that fall in the way it did, it's like they use it like that. Because they don't sit there and try to let the whip crack itself. No, no, no. They're starting a lawnmower. <laughs> they're, boom! You know, they're pulling that sucker, you know? Yeah. And so, and then he started cracking. He says, I get it. I like it now. And I said, I know. It's a weird thing. You know, it's just a weird thing. Hmm. That's the that's you know one of the I don't want to say drawback but one of the I don't know you know you're, you're making this whip and you're just 
you're you're trying to get that sweet spot and you've made it to the best of your ability. The way you believe it should be like this right. is my best whip I make. I love everything about mm-hmm. how it tapers, how it's braided, how it's this, how it's that. I like the handle, the heel. And little do you know it's going to somebody that does absolutely nothing but power crack that right. into submission. Right. You and never know no who's idea whip. finesse. Yes. You right. know, you don't know. Now, I could be wrong, and I, I don't mm. mean to stereotype uh, No, we're not saying everybody's customers. like it. Just, this, not, is, yeah. uh, this is more the wide spectrum, you know, like the fringes of the spectrum you, you of you just, you just never know yeah. who's getting what. You could make the absolute best whip that you've ever made and, stiletto, and really want to keep it. A stiletto of perfection and, and just lightness. And your customer like the, the person who would grace it. It's like, it would, like the person who would love to just barely touch us with a finger to make a crack, but it goes to a shotgun. Mm-hmm. It's not a guy that's using a saber. It's a shotgunner. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I, I wish that, that I was more, yeah, I guess, in control of that. You know, when, when yeah. I make a whip, I wish I was more in control of, and, and I'm not. I'll well, admit, well, I'm, you, I'm not. You also, you also have to realize there's the responsibility of the whip cracker. I don't think a lot of whip makers understand this, but like, you know, when it comes to dealing with like Loop, Luke Rollins, Will Roberts, you know, Anthony's, I mean, you know, Adam and Todd, these guys, they all have their own preferences, Ryan, you know. They all have their own sometimes, and some people get more critical uh, oh, yeah, on this stuff. But uh, mm-hmm. but uh, what am I looking for? What's the word to explain all this? <clears throat> well, I, I I think we're we're I think you and I are talking about different things. Ultimately, I don't even care what anybody how anybody else uh, uses it. Mm-hmm. I want to know I'm hitting the sweet spot. Yeah, if I am yeah. happy with it, then I know that I can sleep soundly at night. Mm-hmm. Meaning that I've I've done the best that I could. Right, right. And gotten it how I think it should be. Mm-hmm. But if it leaves my shop and I'm kind of iffy on it, yeah. I'm not happy. Yeah, totally understand that. Yeah, that's where yeah. you have a hard time sometimes between what's me being too critical on myself yeah well that's that's on some that's a different subject though but yeah break up you know you know uh, as far as cracking whips after i've made them like you know i will i have something i don't mind telling people but it's like i have not test cracked one of my whips in at least the past 400 but a few i don't i don't have the time really i don't have the time anymore I mean, they crack well enough, and I know I'm doing enough, so I kind of can get what I want out of a whip and understand it. Like, I know how, I know since uh, a stock whip is a single belly construction, a core single belly bolster, and I know how far I want to take it and about where my guidelines are, how I want the tails to be, and how it overall tapers all of it. Well, I just craft it as I go. Like, every step when I'm braiding over a layer, I craft it before I braid over it. You know, things like that. So I'm constantly able to control that stuff, but I know it'll crack well enough. Yeah, you know, I, I know it well, but like, uh, here's the other thing too. I, I've looked at it like this too. Another reason I don't want to crack it is right now it's mint and it's shellacked and it's gorgeous and, the, and I've got as much debris off of this. I don't want to have to find a place and I can't. It's insane. I couldn't always find a place because you're like, I got a 12 foot whip. We're in a house, so you're gonna be able to get it in a corridor to do a 24 inch range, do an overhand flick, or even in my garage, and that, it'll still have to go at least touch something or pick uh-huh. up the debris or dust. So I don't even want to test crack them at this point either I'd rather them know that you're the first person that cracks that whip I made it for you you get the first mm. I also see it like that and I've changed through the years I used to test crack them a lot more but see I did that for the first four or five hundred I ta- test crack every aspect and see what well, what did I do change this or how to affect this so I mean you I think you needed everyone should go through that period I just abolished it for different reasons but yeah, yeah. you definitely want to go through that 
but you know what you know one you know but as you make there's also a difference I think when it comes to quickly developing when you you just run once a month as opposed to every day you know so when you're doing this every day it does it it, it, it does kind of heighten how you and look things or do things or get things done too you know it's a, like I remember I was pretty much solid from the start you know where like I was always kind of making whips there for the first year was a little slower but then it was just constant but there were times where something would keep me from it. I either got a bad cut that ruined me for a week or uh, something would happen, you know, vacation. And I remember on the first 70 whips, I think I made 75 my first year, but you know, uh, on those, there was a time where I'd have a break and then I would feel so apprehensive about having to cut and prep again because it felt so foreign. Yeah. Because only still only under 70 and then I had a week from touching this stuff. Yeah, there were you know, and I know people go through that. I've gone through it too, you know. Right. But when you you do something every day for like say a year straight, when you walk away, it's a lot different from when you come back. So when you start adding, you know, when I'm going on what I'm working towards my in five and a half years now of doing, you know, seventy first year, seventy five, eighty five the next year, hundred and I think it was eighty five the third year. I pulled like two fifty or three the the fourth year, and I'm just did three fifty this year, not including another hundred. So you know, Steve's working out. It's around that. I don't know how it all works. You know, it's like, you know, it's, it's exponentially snowballing well, you know, and so, you know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I, I I kind of enjoy test cracking the whip. I feel like it's just kind of the completion for me, you know. Not that there's doubt that it won't yeah. that it won't work, but I just feel like once I have that whip finished, that's, I partly do it for myself, you know, let me go, I'm going to go crack this thing that I just spent hours doing. That satisfaction of okay, it works, and just kind of that peace of mind. You know, okay, this thing is going to perform good. You know, when my customer cracks it for the first time, and maybe down the road when I've when I've made a thousand whips, I'll you know feel otherwise about it. But right now, I just kind of do it as a completion of that build. How do you feel about it, Franco? Do you test your? Uh, I do it well. Yeah. Um, like I said, it's it's not that I have any doubts. That it won't crack. Right. That's never going to happen. He's mm-hmm. trying to find the ultimate I've made enough perfection. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, perfection well, every week, so yeah. it's seen every time. Yeah. I mean, I it, it's sort of a feedback on did my idea of how I was going to build this mm-hmm. is did it come true? Exactly. Was I right? Exactly. Or or am I still off a little bit? And if so. Where is it? Mm-hmm. Where is the off point? You know, is it is it the balance, the feeling I have in the handle? Mm-hmm. Uh, is it the length of the the fall? Like, I just I like to know. I just like to have that feedback mm-hmm. to know whether or not my idea of how I visualize the whip as I'm cutting it, whether or not that actually translated into reality yeah 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 i don't really have any way of predicting that to be honest that you know if i'm trying something new Mm -hmm. it it is just that i'm trying something new and hopefully it works out good i think as far as once i'm done with a whip aside from test cracking it if i just give it a good gentle rollout on the floor i can genuinely or generally tell whether or not it's going to be mm-hmm. bad or if it's yeah. going to be good sometimes i remember it was really early on one of the whips that i had made 
uh, you know, I rolled it and everything, everything seemed fine and I coiled it up and everything seemed fine and then I went to roll it out on the floor and right at one of the strand drops, the whip literally almost wanted to change directions. To go to the side. To go to the yeah. side, yeah. And I'm yeah. like, that is not good. But, mm-hmm. you know, being, being as early on in my career as that was, I didn't really know what I had done wrong uh, and what to do to correct it. You know, I just lacked any experience at all. Yeah, and when you're mm-hmm. dealing with leather, too, you got to realize there's this fluke factor where you may do everything the same and it, it which is in the whip factor dude it just won't come out the same and, and it really may have to do nothing with anything you did it was just something that was i don't know maybe there was a hard piece of a kangaroo lace that got twisted or flipped some way and caused something weird it's like you may just never know whatever it is as much as you may even try to diagnose it after it's done you might mm-hmm. be able to know it not you can sometimes you can but it may be something that you know yeah. There's been times, I think, I know I have in case I'm sure Steve has, where he's like, I braided it and I unbraided it five times trying to figure out why isn't this fixed? Why yeah. is it not that's Like, I should have, I adjusted it to, like, I inserted or took away to get this taper better. And it's like, what's going on? I mean, we all have those moments. And sometimes, you know, you figure it out. Other times, it's like, I just kept working until it did, but still, I don't get why it was causing this weird problem sure. at that spot. And, sure. You know, oh, yeah. I don't like to waste time on that. I like yeah. when, I don't mean fixing it. I mean, I don't like to waste time on what always went wrong myself. I'm just ready to work on the new one because it's a new skin. It's got new problems. It's got a different core. I've split or didn't split. I can only work on the clay in front of me. Mm-hmm. And so to me, it's like I you that was a boat to get across the river, even though it's a finished product. And I don't ever carry that boat again. It goes somewhere else. I'm trying to work at getting a new boat built to go across the next river. Yeah. Yeah. Right. So I, I kind of I don't always retrospect unless there's something real funky (laughs) yeah which doesn't really happen that much anymore yeah franco i don't know how much you know time you have left but uh if if you do have some more time i'd love to you know hear about different materials have have you you know experimented with nylon before or or other materials have you just been strictly you know uh hide cowhide and kangaroo or have have you made any synthetic whips uh i i've made I think I made one out of nylon one. Mm-hmm. Okay. And the rest of the time is all is all been leather, mm-hmm. and most of that, except for the very early on, has been kangaroo. Mm. Um, I made. I, I can't. I think I only made one. Uh, kip hide. Uh, bullwhip in the last 20 years. Wow. And that was enough for me to not want to go back to tip for anything else in Bolter. Yeah. I feel you, Castle. Same me. Yeah. I did one cowhide. I'm like, Gus is Sato. My hat tips to you. <laughs> <laughs> Probably learned a bit about splicing. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah, like, I, I tell people, I'm you, like, you, just you get save spoiled. Yeah, I'm like, you yeah. save material on cow, but if you're getting a slab that's 10 feet long, like with kangaroo, I get to spin the kangaroo around while I cut. And I'm like, with a cowhide, I have to be the thing spinning around the 10-foot table. Yeah. Like, otherwise, you know, you just got to run across it and run tracks. Like, you run you run 10 feet and cut, go back, stick it exactly. in, run 10 feet and cut. You know, it just... Yeah. I didn't like that factor. Yeah, I was just curious. So, yeah, I, it's, it's just been mostly kangaroo. I gotcha. Um, just because, for me, the, the experience I've had with cowhide... Uh, as far as braiding is concerned, mm-hmm. has been so frustrating that 
the amount of leather and strands wasted because they kept breaking or the time required to fix it or whatever it was, it's just not worth it. Well, it's not worth the frustration. I had a little bit thicker than like, you know, two to three ounce, you know, bolster material kit, you know, and, and just a little bit thicker. And my problem was that when I would stretch it, it would always also still restretch. So like I could pull it north and south, but you could also restretch it left and right. You know, and I'm like, I didn't like that factor. <laughs> yeah. And then unlike kangaroo, which is awesome about kangaroo is, well, a cow, it would also get thinner or thicker when it stretched. Well, kangaroo miraculously doesn't get any thinner when stretched. It just shrinks up the size. You know what I mean? And so like, yeah. that's a factor with cow where you have to, you just got to suck it up and deal with it or you got to split it and then you got to risk splitting a, a material that when you, like, like say, say I have a cow that's a millimeter thick and a kangaroo. Well, if I shave that kangaroo down to like, you know, 0.5, which I wouldn't want to do, it would probably still retain maybe, you know, 60% of its strength. But if I, if I shaved a cow, you know, cow hide down to 50%, it would only have like 20% of its strength. Like there's... Yeah. Like, like if you start shaving cow, it gets exponentially weaker than, than kangaroo does. And that was a, that sucked too. If you had to split it, it just, mm-hmm. you, you would also probably more likely to break. Yeah. Yeah. I think I made, yeah. yeah I, some of my early, I, I, to, to date, I haven't made a lot of leather whips. You can probably 25 or 30 total, but, uh, I experimented some with chrome tan and that stuff is crazy That's stretchy. The worst you know? to deal with. The yeah. It's so floppy, yeah. you know, it's like. Yeah. It's like a pizza that hasn't been cooked, you know, the dough that just falls over. Yeah. <laughs> it's like yeah. you're trying to cut that around corners and it's like it, it slows you down. It's yeah. frustrating. Definitely. And the stretch. Yeah. The stretch, it's like a weird stretch. Like it, it'll stretch and then relax it unstretches like it's elastic sometimes. Yeah. So when you when I try to match a strain and prep, I have to pull like when I pull it when I when I like I, I prep it and then I have to match it. I have to pull on both strands as I walk down it so they both have tension. So yeah. I see what the real size is after I'm <laughs> yeah. pulling. Like, it's crazy like that. Chrome chrome is the worst. Right. Yeah. But I've had whips I had to make out of chrome like uh, the Wonder Woman whip. Yeah. You know, it was gold. You can only get that in chrome. Uh, one of my lightsaber whips that was this real vibrant like Colts like Indianapolis Colts blue was that the only way I get that color was chrome and I had to do it. Yeah. Again, I don't want no part of it. So, Franco, you uh, you mentioned earlier, you know, one of the many differences that, between whip makers is uh, uh, you mentioned a lot of things, but you, you briefly touched on plaiting soap. And uh, mm. a while back you posted a very in-depth uh, recipe for uh, self-rendered, uh, you know, rendered fat plaiting soap, and it was really... A long drawn out process and I was just wondering is that something you do every time and is there a reason that you feel like that's more worthwhile than just using lard and ivory soap uh, no it's not something I do every time it's something that I tried because I was I kept I kept hearing about how Australians use mutton fat and how that didn't darken leather and how it was just the bomb and the bees need as far as fat for plaiting soap. Yeah. So I just wanted to try and experiment with um, alter- alternatives to uh, lard. Um, and I, I know that this change, this depends on wh- where you live, but where, where I am, 
Lard is really easy to get, but clean beef tallow or beef fat, that's not as easy to get. Right. So I actually went had to go through the process of doing that to get it. To get it clean. So I figured I would just document it. Since then, I, I have returned to uh, lard just because it, it's so much faster. Yeah, <laughs> it seems like it would be. I, I read through all that and was yeah. like, you know what? I'm just going to do the old David Morgan recipe and call it a day. Yeah. yeah. yeah I mean, I, I, now, yeah. If, your, if your results were absolutely but, spectacular and you just gave it glowing reviews, I might have had to have tried that, but I, I don't recall seeing that post. Yeah, it was so loud, but we were waiting but for the it, part where you had to do it in the pale moonlight on an autumn moon. You know? <laughs> <laughs> there has to be a gentle degree breeze of like 70 degrees. Well, so, the night. so did you notice that it did not color the leather as much, or was it about the same? It did not color the leather as much, and it did not feel as greasy. Huh. So, hmm. but it worked. But, yeah, it did work. Uh, it worked brilliantly. It was just a really long, but you know, process. But you have to understand too that uh, I had never done this. Yeah, this was something that for fun. I, I was. I want to try it. I, I was experimenting and developing techniques as I was doing it. Um, so the uh, the process was probably more complicated than than. It, I would make it now. Uh, but hey, I'm nothing if not thorough. Yeah, I'll give you that. You are, uh, yeah. <laughs> You're very hyper-analytical. That's a polite way of saying I'm a little bit obsessive-compulsive. Uh, hyper-analytical is my term for it now. Hyper-analytical. Well, I think to be, to be a whip-maker and, and to really care, you, you have to be somewhat of a perfectionist, and I think anything that's a trait we all share. Yeah, you know? Anything you do, if you want to rise to the top of it you have to you have to start examining all the little details to clean it up mm -hmm. yeah back to the and, and you know what i i kind of get a kick out of learning and, and getting in the nitty-gritty zone of details like that it's not some place where i want to dwell eternally because let's face it it's exhausting yeah. <laughs> but but at as a as a place to visit it's fascinating but yeah it Beef fat definitely worked better for me, but overall, um, unless I could have it already ready to go, like lard, uh, it's not something I would I would do anymore because it's just too time consuming. A quick one that comes to my mind. I think I already know the answer. What's your favorite aspect of making the whip? That's a good question. Huh. Interesting, and I, I I don't mean you know when it's done and it you know it, it cracks, but I mean as far as the actual process of you know whether it be plaiting the whip or or tapering your bellies or tying the knots. You know, is there something that you, yeah. you uh, actually find enjoyment? What's, what's, what's the most zen moment for of the process for for Franco? Ah, <laughs> uh, good question. Shoot. They, they, they all have their positives and they all have their negatives. Yeah, yeah. Yep. So the, you know, I, I, I think I could say that the knots are a relaxing part for me. That's exactly what I love. Because yeah. it's, 
it's less stressful now than other parts. Mm-hmm. So if if I compare that to uh, fine tuning a fall, well, fine tuning a fall means you're eighty percent there. You could walk away and still have a decent fall, but you're pining at it and you're trying to get it to that ninety five percent. Right, mm-hmm. and that means that means you're one false movement away from screwing it up. Uh-huh. Yeah. yeah. So that's that's it's intense in a way because you're I, I'm I'm really trying to get that that puppy down to where I want it, uh, but at the same time I I realize that I'm really close to screwing it up. Yeah. I, if I uh, if I would have had to have guessed, I would have guessed that you would have said knots just because. In a, lot of, in a lot of the posts that you've posted and in the whip I saw, I feel like it, it seemed to me, looking at the knots, that that's something that you just took a great amount of pride in, and I think it shows. Yeah, they're, bad, they're really awesome looking. Like I was going to say, I guess I'm going to say badass. They're badass. Like, I know some they, they are. They were awesome. They're the, slick. There was a post you shared a while back that was, uh, I think it might have been a whip that you were making for Adam. I, I'm not real sure. Yeah, probably. Yeah, I think it was. But, but the knot, man, it just was like glass. It, it, it made me sick, really. <laughs> it's awesome, dude. It looked great. Thank so, you. That's that's what I but would that, guess. That, that actually came out of uh, something, a goal that I was trying to hit, which was comparing indie models with some of them have really bulbous heel knots if the whip is really long that that thing can be almost uncomfortable in the hand yeah if it's too big and so for a while there i was kind of aiming at slimming down the heel knot and my goal wasn't so much to make it look pretty as it was to make it feel comfortable, as comfortable as it could in the hand. Hmm. So I started experimenting with different ways of finishing that knot, one of which was going at it with a mallet just to get it as smooth as possible mm-hmm. so that when, it, when you're cracking and throwing that whip, it's just like having a ball of glass mm-hmm. that just flies. Yeah, that's, yeah. That's, that's kind of that's what I was that's what I was aiming at. Well, that's kind of what the whip I was uh, I got to see felt like. I mean, yeah. it's pretty darn nice. Cool. <clears throat> Looks like he nailed it. <laughs> nailed it. <laughs> well, that's one thing off the list. Right. How many more? <laughs> right. What were some of the big aha moments that you got when making whip that kind of popped in, or what? Who influenced it? Either shared something or you saw where, like, ah, that's how that's done, and that will definitely affect things. Or, huh, that was, a, like, you know when you have big light bulb moments where you've been doing the same thing, we have big light yeah. bulb, it totally affects it, and it's it may just be something subtle, but it's, it's a deep one. You got any aha moments that, from maybe, uh, that you want to talk about or share a few of those, and also, like, say you got it because maybe David Morgan said something, or, you know, somebody that kind of, led you to it like huh i never saw it before is there anything like that too if you can have that stuff that's great if not but any of those bulbs what are some of the bulbs at different points in your 20 some years plus well it, i think it was uh i i I'm, I'm pretty sure it was uh louis fox who had said sometime one time he said he said you know don't don't look at a whip as only individual layers 
said it as a math. Now, I, I'm paraphrasing now, but what he was trying to say was if you look at it only as individual layers, if you're on the, uh, on the second bolster and you're past the halfway point and your, your bolster starts to open up compared to the, the, the filler strands or whatever, or even if you're, you're over a belly and your bolster opens up a little bit, and I was saying, well, isn't that going to create a dip? Well, not necessarily. You can roll that out to where you're basically deforming a little bit the uh, the layer underneath, and you're you're filling in that hole. If your if your bolster is let let's say you're trying to achieve a linear taper for sake of argument, mm -hmm. and so you cut your bolster and you stretched it and you greased it and the edges are straight. Well, provided those edges meet, you know your taper is linear. If that bolster opens up, then that means that part of the whip underneath was a little bit bigger. And by open up, so just so people understand is he's trying to have a, a bolster cover the complete Comforts like you just wrap it around like a, a taco yeah. shell, but it has to touch. Like uh, you know, it's like not a breed of wrap, but it wraps only around its meats up where it lifts up. So when you braid it, it connects. So you know, he doesn't put a bolster yeah. on and then he runs a sinew around it. It's it's loose hanging. So he's saying that well, as the the taper of the bolster, or the whip may taper more than the bolster, or it might overlap more. But while if the the bolster slims up more than it needs than, than the the whip taper does then it will start to spread apart and show a gap between where the bolster meets. Just for you guys understanding that, trying to understand that, yeah. To a certain degree, the bolster is a shape regulator. And while that, that the amount of fine tuning that you can do with the bolster over a belly may not be as big as what you can do over the unplatted portion, uh, because your belly is already set the yeah. taper, there, there's still something that you can do. And just, I don't know, it was a light bulb moment for me to think of the whip, not just as layers, but as a total of, uh, as a mass. Yeah, like when you roll and, it, it'll all form well rolled. Yeah, it'll take care of itself. Yes. And, uh, just like a bolster yeah. fills in the cracks in the braided section, you got a four flat belly, there's some, you know, there's creases in there. So the bolster smushes into there, it'll smush around everywhere. You know, just mm -hmm. the, the next layer of braiding, it just smushes it wherever it needs to go, and it'll find the right path of resistance. What what else was a light bulb moment? I'm trying to think. Um, oh, yokes. Using a yoke to cover the handle and starting the plaiting at the where the uh, handle foundation starts to point. Like an inch behind the point of the nail spike. Or an inch yeah. or so or something. Yeah. So that was a light bulb moment because until I learned that, I thought everything had to be plaited from the base. <clears throat> Me too. I thought, I thought the same thing. The shoes, those little things. Where'd you yeah. get that from? What? Where'd you see the yoke from? Like, where'd you get that then? When you saw the yoke, like, oh, there's a light bulb. Where'd you get that from? Where did that uh, come to your path to be the first time to realize it? I don't think it was in a book. No, that stuff, I, uh, I guess it is in some books. Do they even have that in, like, Ron Edwards, where it shows a 
yoke. They don't do that, right? So I don't think it is in the book. Yeah, some things in his book may have been cut to a yoke, but nothing on a spike. Like yeah, not on, like an American bull whip. Maybe on a maybe on a stock whip or something. Yeah, it would, yeah. but not a yoke would wrap around the handle. I, I, it was. You know what? It was probably a picture I saw on somebody's website. It could have been. It could have been Louis. Yeah. Louis, Paul has that Bullwhips.org, yeah. 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 Probably was Louis. Yeah, I saw it on Paul yeah. Nolan's uh, in-progress uh, picks on the Midwest Whips website. You know, I was blown yeah. away. Could be that, too. And Bernardo <laughs> explained it to me. I, I re Bernardo was one of the guys that I pestered. And that was another, that was an aha moment for me as well. Yeah. If you don't know it, it's game-changing. Yeah. I saw it on. Um, it was that show. I don't know if it's still going. How it's made. They 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 had Paul Nolan. Yeah, and they they were showing the yokes, and I was unaware of it until that point. That's I think that's where I first saw it. But. Have there been any? You know, as you get to do what you've done for so long, and you know you're a veteran of many years, even though you don't, you know, you're not making a whip every day. You you've gotten made a lot of whips and a veteran. Are there any light bulb moments that have come out more recently? Maybe not, I'm sure they're not as big as a yoke because a yoke is a mega light bulb, you know. <laughs> but you know, are there anything that more recently like, huh? Because you know, as you get through this, you'll see something like, how come I didn't think of it before? How come I didn't notice this? Or how come I didn't know it's easier? But you know, sometimes there's also major major revelations that you just like, huh? I can't believe I didn't notice. Is there anything like that's happened in the past few years, like a couple years, or anything recent? Or if it was, it's probably a, a yeah. smaller light bulb. But what would that? Um, I, I think. I think one of them was that I, because I, I grew up working and practicing with 10 footers, really like heavy ones. And because of my, my interest in this came from indie, I always sort of took it as a given that whips had to be big and bulky and heavy. And when I was younger, I was, I would, I would look at smaller, shorter ones and lighter ones kind of from the top of, tip of my nose, if you'll pardon the expression. And as I got older and started trying out different models and, and trying out different whip makers' whips, um, I, I kind of discovered something about target whips and smaller whips. Not smaller in, in length so much as in size. And it was just something about the finesse of it that I realized, well, if this cracks so effortlessly, being significantly smaller than what I'm used to, then clearly the craftsmanship is that much more on point. Yeah. Yeah, at least that was my impression at the time. Yeah, it's easy to make things bigger. It's hard to make them extremely small. Mm -hmm. <laughs> we were talking about Steve got this awesome pirate ship from his uh, vacation recently and it's like he's like well this model that they sell generically is like 250 but they go up to 10,000 because some guy individually ties every knot accurately and you know it's like to really make something more perfect at a smaller level it's <laughs> it's yeah. way more insane than to be able to yeah. have something that actually fits in your hand I mean you gotta use like tweezers and <laughs> you know <laughs> yeah that actually reminds me of my question um, Franco do you enjoy higher plat counts maybe 24 or greater or do you prefer, you know, working with, you know, 12 and 16? Or have, have you worked with I, higher plat counts? The highest, highest I've ever made was 24. Okay. Yeah. 
and uh, that that was a nightmare of a spaghetti. I'll tell you what. <laughs> right, right, right. That was a double double back lobster, as I'd call it. Yeah. I'm working with a paracord company now, and uh, I was talking to them about producing a, a thinner nylon, and they sent me uh, a sample to try out. So I'm, I'm right now actually working on some, some measurements for a 24-plat uh, bullwhip. And, yeah, it, it, it re- I haven't made very many 24-plat whips, but it reminded me of, of the nightmare that it, it can be, you know. I get happy when I know I can make a, an indie whip. Like, yeah. I can just make yeah. a 12-plat at an indie style. I'm so happy. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you, Lord. You know, thank you, God. Yeah. You know, nothing special. No, like ten extra dimensions a guy gave me, and yeah. You know, like. Uh, oh, by the way, uh, to, uh, I mean, to, don't get... to go back to the question earlier, the aha moment on the thinner whip. What what gave you that? Mm-hmm. Where did that? What made that bulb come into your playing field? You know. Probably Adam opening up his bag of whip. You say Adam? <laughs> Adam Winrich, right? Yeah. When he visited you. Yeah. And I got, I got to try so many different models. He showed me one that he had gotten from uh, Peter Thorndike. Mm. Pete. And Pete that, that was, I can't remember how many plats. It was at least 36. It was ridiculous. Yeah. And uh, it was so perfect <laughs> that <laughs> I, I was literally shaking. I, I, I'm I'm not afraid to drop it like a little kid holding a vase. Holding this, it was like holding a 500-year-old katana. Yeah, Mm -hmm. but they're small. Which I, I I mean, I've I've had the, uh, uh, I've had the pleasure of having in my hands, and I can tell you, it's, it's, it's an amazing piece of art, uh, functional art, Mm -hmm. and so, yeah, that that was a really, really. I don't know. It that just it was it was only a weekend, you know. The time I, I spent hanging out with Adam, but it was really an eye opener. Yeah, yeah, I found it interesting to find out about Adam that uh, you know he 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 really instilled in me that there are different whips for different things. You know, you want you want a target whip. It's going to be a smaller whip. You know, and he he does the the loudest crack where he got the uh, the decibel meter out, you know, and, and he, did, you know, I saw this whip and in the video, it didn't look that big. All, all the whips in the video look about the same really, you know, as far as diameter You're goes. You're talking about the one that was the Florida cracker that yeah. he had me fix. And he, right. Yeah, he, that's one, that's one of my two Guinness records that I got with my whips. That, that whip was so big and so massive. I thought, it's why in God's beast. name would Adam Winrich ever want this whip? But <laughs> it, it does a certain thing and it does it really good. Well, yeah. the, the, the background on that whip was he, he saw a picture of this Florida cracker whip and he thought it was a normal sized eight foot bull whip because if you see it it's like i don't know how fat it was to begin but it's probably 28 millimeters diameter or something like that I'd, you know i'd say it's bigger than that it might be bigger than that it might oh be my god that's but, huge but it's so huge so he thought from the picture that it was just a normal sized whip and when he got it he's like oh my gosh because you got to realize it's probably 12 millimeters at the uh, fall hitch yeah. so it might have been 30 32 it was huge kind of and he, he sent it to me and he's like hey uh blake uh I got this whip. He says, "I want to know if you'll right there where the fall hitch is back up a little bit. I want you to take white kangaroo on this fat cow whip and just extend it as far as you can. You know, 12, 13 feet, wherever you can get out of it." And I'm like, uh, and, "And so I, you know how I have a fader, right? You know, my fader slowly fades in other strands. 
Well, that was because I had a yeah. customer that said, "Hey, I want a I want a Buckenheimer made by you, where it has a wrist strap that's a flat piece that you know goes from the transition hooks on the heel." I wanted to go from a dark color to light, and I said, "Well, the only way I would want to make it is if I slowly insert strands." And that was the birth of my fader, right? And I, and that's how I'd rather do it, even if I could. But it was hard with this stuff. And he's like, "No, I want them all to come out at one inch spot." And I'm like, "Are mm. you kidding me?" Now that was a nightmare for me, and it frustrated me. And I was almost thinking, like, you know, at first I'm like, you know what? I'll do this for Adam. I'll just do it for the cost material. You know, I'm going to do it because it's a crazy thing, right? And when I got done with it, I was so upset with it. It was a nightmare. It actually, he was happy with it. It did all right. But I was just like, I'm going to almost apologize and buy him another whip. Or I'm like, I'm going to let him do it. It's for free, man. I'm like, I feel so upset. And the guy says, nah, man, it, it's all right. It does great. And he ended up winning a Guinness record with it. Right. But, wow. you know, the fact that it's all this cowhide, which is thicker and fatter, and then I had to braid in all these strands and make the weight work out and transition to go to a lighter material that's thinner. And it was, and it had to be right at like a six flat at that point. I did some things I've never done with it before. All right. Huh. Actually, I just had another, I just thought of another light bulb moment, which is, uh, I was talking with Adam about transition zone. <laughs> and I used to make them a lot stiffer for a lot longer. Yeah. And he was like, well, look, if, if, you, if you shorten it a little bit so that it's still strong, but starts flexing closer to the handle, then your loop starts closer to the handle yeah. as opposed to being two feet off the handle. And I was already planning more than tightly enough uh, to the point where he said, you know, back off 15% when once you're past the transition zone and you'll be fine. And that's something that I started incorporating in my whips and uh, the result is, is I gotta say it's a lot closer to what I would see from other professional whip makers that I could never really get mine to do because mine were always super stiff well, I don't and know. I mean super stiff for a long time. I've always kind of thought about, you know, as far as when you're making, like, say, a 10-foot whip, you got to realize if you're going to break the overlay all in one city, you know, like, I almost think they don't intentionally do it, but when you're there, you're braiding as hard as you can, but no matter how hard you braid, it'll weaken up as you go. So maybe a lot of this was just naturally weaken up from you having to do a 1,000 blasts, you know. And so it also naturally kind of weaken up a little bit. But then again, you also got to realize when you get down to your first drop around the halfway point and they're thinner, a thinner strand will braid tighter with less effort too. So that's something that can come into play when you're doing braiding technique too. You got to take in that as a factor. But yeah, well, that was that was one Adam I, I, me, and, and I did the same thing when he told me to back off a little. I understood it, and, and it, it was an eye opener to know how to make it for him. But and I've, I've applied it here and there. But I got to tell you, nowadays it's like I've had a flip flop because it's like I'll have other people be like, I don't like that. It should be so stiff. And like the, there's the the community that likes more of the short whips and they're used to it that way. And they're like, it has to be stiff. And I'm like, I just made a spear to whip. But they're like, nope, I got to braid it like a stick. <laughs> it's four feet and it's a stick. Enjoy yep. it. Enjoy it. Enjoy your stick whip. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I remember making a 10 footer years back. And when it was, when I, it was just new and unbroken, not broken in yet, I would hold it and the coil would kind of go down but it wouldn't uncoil 
sliding soap would come out. Yeah. Wow. It, An inch. Yeah, like how people want the streets of Cairo work, look, and usually the thing is, if you put, you know, if you have some nice thick conditioner in the bolster anyways, you got to realize, yeah, I, I condition every layer after I braid it in, you know, the bolsters before I braid over it, things like that, but when you, that last foot and a half usually just darkens because you've got, you have conditioner, not plating soap in that core, and you're squeezing so tight, it just squeezes out of that bolster into those strands and darkens even it naturally in the last part. How's that? Yeah. You braid tight, it will darken the last foot or so that whip. Hmm. That's true. Having been used to plaiting tightly made plaiting transition tightly very easy. Yeah. I was already doing it. Yeah. Like, it's a good forearm workout, you know? Yeah. I think a lot of transition binding, in my mind, for, at least with kangaroo lips, uh, is a little overrated. I think it's counterproductive, actually. Completely counterproductive to a tight transition. You know, I just, my, my theory is your, your overlay, believe it or not, is actually binding. You know what I mean? Yeah, the braided, the belly underneath is binding. You know, the yeah. overlay is the best binding you have. How much binding do you put in your whips, Franco? Do you bind the transition a lot? Or That's do you a do good question. All? Good question. I do a little bit. Mm -hmm. um, my, my philosophy is I don't want that spike to poke through. Mm -hmm. So it's not it's not so much that I'm I'm trying to create with binding that extra long transition. You're just trying to help definitely make sure that the that one half inch or inch doesn't constantly that's right. flex. So at most on an average bullwhip, the transition might be, I don't know, three inches. It's it's not long and that last inch and a half is not done as tightly as the first quarter inch. Yeah. Again, I'm, I'm coming at it from the position that I'm not trying to create, to extend the stiffness into the song. I'm trying to not have the spike poke through throughout the years. Mm -hmm. yeah. I got you. That's the idea. Yeah. Any other questions you guys got? That was one I had. I, right, I was. Who do you like the best on all three of us? It's me, right? <laughs> <laughs> it's me, right, Franco? Come on, Castle. Okay. <laughs> no. Sorry, you're cutting out there. Oh, I said, I said, who do you like best out of all three of us, Castle? <laughs> it's me, right? <laughs> Sorry, you're still cutting out. That's right. <laughs> I think that's a clever excuse, right? That's brilliant. Brilliant. Oh man. Well, Franco. You want to catch on? <laughs> Well, Franco, thank you so much for, for coming on the show. You know, we, we had a great time Pleasure. talking with you. And, and if somebody wants to see your work and just get in touch with you, uh, where, where can they reach you? Uh, well, they can definitely reach me through the Whitmaker's Hook page on Facebook. Mm -hmm. uh, I'm the main administrator of that page, and uh, that's a great way of getting in contact with me. Awesome. So he, he spends a lot of time making sure the kids play right. I mean, he's he's on there, so he'll yeah. respond. Yeah, when people ask me, you know, for for a community, I, I oftentimes point them, you know, to your page, Franco. I, I think it's a Facebook. yeah, it's the most helpful. You get people on there who have been, you know, doing this for years, such as yourself, and a lot of good information on that on that Facebook group. I'm, you know, I'm most most people on that particular page play fairly fair. You know, they yeah, play nice. Yeah, good place. Willing to help and well, well Franco makes sure they do. <laughs> That's right. Well. Look, just as, as a closing statement, if I can. Absolutely. Uh, 
the idea behind that group was initially my way of giving back to all those whipmakers who helped me out. Mm-hmm. There was no way for me to teach them anything. But I figured if I pass it forward in a sort of way, at the very least, I'm in some measure, in some measure at least, contributing to the continuation of this craft. Mm-hmm. And that's that's really what what this group is about. It to uh, it's to make sure that there is and I know there is a lot of other places, but at the very least there's this one place that's dedicated to the craft mm-hmm. where people can turn to and exchange ideas and, and, and learn and get their foot their feet wet in the process. And uh, as a result hopefully we'll we'll have this craft around for a long time. Yeah, and, it, and, and you told me before we talked about your initial reason, uh, some other initial reasons, but you talked about how you never expected, you said you would have been happy with 12 people on there, right? And mm. what, and you, you've capped 1,000 yeah. this year finally. Wow. Right? Numbers. Congratulations. That's awesome. I, I never expected it to be more than 20 people, to be honest. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I was kind of floored when we hit 50. <laughs> and now we're at uh, what eleven hundred? Yeah, it's up there. It's up there. I'm approving, you know, at least one to two members a day. Sometimes nice. four or five a weekend. I'll go for two days, but yeah, we're probably getting five people in a week. You never know. That's great. Once again, Franco, thanks so much for coming oh. on the show. We we had a great time, you know, discussing whip making. Thank with you. you, and look forward to having you on again sometime. Anytime. Awesome. Take care now. Take care, Franco.